Hey guys, welcome back. Chris Bircher, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, Episode 8. I know I'm getting these numbers kind of mixed up, but this is Episode 8, and the working title is going to be something like Goals, Accolades, and ultimately a little bit about the meaning of life, because I think those ideas have been on my mind a lot lately, and there have been themes that have sort of been embedded in the first seven episodes. Uh, remember, you can uh, you can find all the latest uh, information on Fridays. I'll release a, um, a blog post on my website that's going to have links to the podcasts and to the YouTube video for the weekly episode. You can follow me on Facebook at Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. You can subscribe to my blog. You can find me on my YouTube channel. Uh, or you could subscribe or, or follow the podcasts on a handful of the main podcast hosting sites. It's up to you. Uh, I, I'd like to develop a discourse with you guys so I get some feedback and um, learn from you as much as I'm sharing my ideas and figure out how you feel about these things just because I think that's going to help me complete my ideas. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, I feel like everybody, I feel like I'm right about these things and I've put a lot of research and experience, you know, I, I try to not have opinions about things I don't have much knowledge or experience about, and I'm pretty confident that I'm right, but I'm also incredibly open to being absolutely wrong, and uh, the, what I'm doing is presenting my ideas of things that are important to me, and uh, looking for someone to sort of, to fill in the blanks, or to push back, or to challenge me, uh, because, you know, that's, that's, that's how my ideas are going to evolve, I'm, I'm totally open to changing these things. And so, uh, though, while I'm pretty confident uh, how I feel about these issues, and that's why I'm talking about them, completely ready to, to understand or accept or realize that I'm absolutely wrong. So that's why it's important for me to get your feedback. And uh, a lot of you guys have, have liked my posts or liked the video or whatever, and I think that's great. But if you have some feelings about that and, you know, you, 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 you've um, decided that you're going to do some action, you know, and, and like something... Um, but go ahead and make a comment or, or, or you know, um, push back or, or agree or whatever you want to do. But again, only if you feel comfortable doing that. Okay, so it's something like June 7th and, you know, I, this, is, this is a topic or, or um, theme that's on my, idea, on my mind a lot. And those are, you know, accolades, the rewards that we get or the things that we strive for uh, that match up with our goals. You know, something like a sports competitor may be interested in being the champion or uh, someone in high school may be interested in being the valedictorian or, you know, having some sort of reward that shows um, some recognition for what you've done. And I think goals are big motivators and accolades are something that we all... Uh, enjoy getting and feel good about and can even and can even be the reason that we do things and I'm going to argue today that there's basically two types of accolades related to our goals and those are external accolades that you receive from the outside world and then then there's these weird internal accolades that you sort of have to find yourself and uh, first I want to sort of demonstrate what I think is the evolution of, of, of human goals and the accolades associated with them, and, and maybe suggest uh, that uh, we're in, an, in, a, in a, that these are cyclical, 
and we're in a very interesting point on a, maybe a new cycle. <clears throat> but let me first start, you know, again, my background's ecology, and so I view humans as, you know, me as being primarily a biological organism, sharing some some traits and, and probably a lot to learn from all the other animals that ever evolved before us. So if, you know, you accept that we came, we are the the result of millions of years of evolution of starting with the simplest biological organism, a single cell, then we probably share some fundamental biological goals, if you will, with these things. And, and so whether you believe that or not, this is where I'm coming from. So I think, when I think about, I used to teach my student this, students this because it became apparent to me at some point that the fundamental goal of biological organisms is immortality. Bear with me for a minute. If you think about the way our DNA works, and DNA to me is one of the most alien things. I mean, it's such a complex molecule um, designed for immortality. You know, genes get passed on through biological reproduction from generation to generation. So biological organisms are inherently temporary. Uh, but through their DNA, it can be inherited into the successor generation. And so ultimately, it's this sort of competition. And not, not, not competition is the wrong word, especially given <laughs> the, the episode I did about competition. Um, it's more just about can th this information can basically live forever if it's passed through these different biological packets. And so back up another step, I, I think about biology as organizations of cells that become individual animals as just being these packets of DNA. We're really just sort of delivery mechanisms for DNA and carbon. And um, I really, it took me a long time to come around to this because one of my uh, ecology professors told me one time that species are redundant and biodiversity is important only in that there's a lot of different types of organisms. That any one single organism really didn't matter because all organisms really were, were just different organizations of carbon molecules. And in a carbon-based system like, like us, uh, all that really matters is this carbon has a vehicle to be delivered from one form to the next. I know that's a lot, that's a big thing. And it took me a long time to sort of appreciate both sides of that, that the individual organism or species is important. But really, it is just a carrier. You know, and as much as our bodies are carriers for our souls, you know, if that's a concept you've pondered before, we really are just biological packets of carbon and DNA. And, and, and the, the, the primary goal of a biological organism, I will argue, is immortality. And so how do you use this temporary packet of carbon and DNA to make yourself live longer, even though you know you're going to expire and die? And you do that through biological reproduction and passing on of your uh, inheritable or heritable information to the next generation. And I think that explains, you know, to me that's a, that's a, that's a, that, that's a paradigm that sort of makes sense across the boards. You know, it makes sense why our, our drive for uh, reproduction is so strong. Uh, it makes sense why, you know, we've sort of, we, the, the societies live together and all these other things. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest sort of flaws in life is that it's temporary. But it's not really temporary if you want to think about it like that. And then, you know, in some bigger picture, this agrees with some of the, the Buddhist thoughts of um, immortality and, and um, what do you call it, when you reincarnation. Uh, and some of these things. Anyway, 
So I'm, I'm beginning with the premise that the fundamental, the first goal of life is immortality, and the, the accolade associated with that is successful reproduction and the rearing of offspring in your lifetime so that you understand that your genes will live longer than you as an individual. Take myself, for example. I've had four kids. My DNA is in those kids. I'll probably die in 20, 30 years, 40, whatever. But they'll live longer than that, and they have another opportunity to pass those genes on <clears throat> to the next generation. And the cool thing about this is it's not like it's a carbon copy of me. It's just the naturally selected for traits of my DNA that get passed on. So, you know, it's bigger than us. It's not like I just want to be immortal. I want the human species to be immortal and to improve. And so I believe and accept that that's a, the fundamental driving force behind us being on the planet. But, but you know, so what? Uh, I, I, it just helps me sleep at night or whatever. Call it my religion. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. But there's the example of sort of the umbrella goal and accolade. The goal is immortality. The accolade is uh, successful reproduction uh, and introduction of your genes into successive generations there. And I think from the earliest stages, that's all there was. You know, you look at, you look at fish or birds or insects, and, and that's sort of what they do, right? They're born to reproduce. They spend part of their lives sexually maturing to where they develop um, reproductive organs, and then they spend their time obviously eating because you have to fuel that system so that it works and then finding the opportunity to mate and you look at all the different mating habits of all the different animals and they're crazy and diverse and you know we spent a lot of time and energy reproducing um, and for the most part animals do it they're successful and they die and that's the end of the story and most other biological organisms we see, in fact, part of what makes them really cool and interesting and fun to watch is, is their re reproductive habits. And they're watching them meet these goals and be successful at it, or, or not, unfortunately. Um, but for humans, you know, we have this brain, and that makes us a little bit different. And so what I like to think is, you know, we're, we're the first one, maybe not the first ones, you could argue the primates and, and, and a lot of the other sort of our closest ancestors, if you will, developed a lot of these um, societal structures and habits and things like we did. But I'm just going to use humans for an example here. You know, at some point, we had all the necessities, we got all the necessities met. Certainly for thousands and thousands of years as um, Homo sapiens existed, we primarily, just like all the other animals, spent our time trying to get the food, uh, to, to survive another day, to sexually mature, and to reproduce, and rear those babies. And really, and that was the end of the story. At some point, we got really good at those things. We developed tools, we figured out shelter, we discovered fire, we, we, you know, we, we became more comfortable, and that introduces luxury. And I think there's certainly other animals that have a luxury time. You know, you look at dolphins playing, or, or birds playing, and you're like, you know, they, they're not too worried about where they're sleeping tonight or where they're going to get their next meal, all of a sudden you have luxury time. And of course, with our brain and luxury time, I think the first break that we had as a species, whatever, whenever that was, that's when we started telling stories and started being creative and looking up at the skies and going, there's Larry, that's a cowboy, or, or you know, um, making things up and sort of using our brains and being imaginative. And that's probably when things like religion and government and philosophy and all these things started 
and then switch the goals, right? We've met our goals. We got our accolades. We've we've achieved this thing of immort this pattern of immortality that works for biological organisms. And then we're now able to do other things. And so what did we do, you know, once those things, once we had our food and our water, we started thinking. And we started, you know, looking and going, eh, maybe those guys killing each other over, you know, uh, bison is not smart. Uh, maybe we should sit down and, and come up with some rules or, or, you know, maybe whatever. And some of those are probably good, like, uh, you know, we shouldn't kill each other. And some of those are probably bad, like, well, those people were born on that side of the river, and so they're going to be our servants or whatever. Um, but that's when we started doing that thing. That's when creativity happened. And, you know, one of the first things I think of with creativity is philosophy. Like, why are we here? You know, at some point... At some point, we got stupid crazy and started asking way far out questions like, what's the purpose of life? You know, is that comet in the sky God trying to tell me something? You know, and that's when all the cool uh, creativity started. And then government, laws, you know, philosophy, laws, and then things like science, you know, um, standard ways of understanding the world around us. And really, fundamentally, all these things that we did both helped fuel our success as at, uh, as a species at meeting the, the, the primary directive of immortality through reproduction and passing on our genes. But then all the, and some secondary things too, like um, air conditioning, <laughs> being more comfortable, or vehicles to travel around the world. Um, so I, I see that as sort of the natural progression driven by, okay, driven by both intrinsic why are we here i'm going to think about this i'm going to try to develop some some you know organized thoughts about that could help explain this need that i have to understand life on earth in in a spiritual sense or or a philosophical sense and extrinsic um like uh if i can discover a corona coronavirus uh vaccine i'm gonna make money you know, okay, so, so now there's, there's, they're, they're, they're developed through time, and I, I don't, I can't, I haven't thought about this too much, uh, basically two d- types of drivers um, to meet these new goals that we have, and those are in- extrinsic and intrinsic, and essentially to me, intrinsic, well, the, those recognition of goals are essentially accolades, so at some point, you know, I, I give the philosophers a lot of credit, and I don't know what they were like, and I have this sort of probably inaccurate, dreamy idea that you know philosophy was um, was uh, natural and um, organic, and you know thinking for thinking's sake, and didn't really have any um, any need for these recognition or accolades in the world. But that's probably not true. You know, our, our, as our egos developed. Um, through the with all this luxury time, we thought about ourselves. Ooh, you know, am I cool? Uh, what do people think about me? You know, how do I fit into this whole thing? Do I have a good life? Um, the, and 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 that required some some feedback from the world. And those are essentially the extrinsic accolades I'm talking about. If I say smart things, people will like me, and that will feel good. And you know, I've met my goal of being a good person. Um, versus 
my brain works really neat and I have the answers to some questions and that makes me feel good inside and that's an, an intrinsic accolade. And I'm not describing this very well, but hopefully with some examples, um, it'll make more sense. This idea of uh, go having a goal, having a need, and then the recognition of that need being met either being something like, um, I'm not hungry anymore, I feel better. That's an in intrinsic um, accolade for a, a goal or need of hunger versus other people telling you that you're smart, which is an extrinsic, or, or winning an award or, or um, being elected the, the leader of the tribe or, or whatever it is. Um, I, I think eventually as our brains were free to think and develop things, we, we got into this system where the extrinsic accolades became what drove us. You know, I think originally these, these drivers, these goals, these needs, these whatever they were, whether they were to reproduce or to, or to eat or to have shelter or um, to, to, to answer a driving question in your brain of why we're here, originally those things came from what I'm going to call a more pure source or a more organic, spontaneous source. And the need for recognition of those things wasn't that important. It was simply you were so driven to answer a question or to meet a need or to, or to, 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 to achieve something, that that's why you did it. And then eventually, again, with all the luxury time that we had, I think you looked around and there were more people meeting their goals and doing things and you had more time to do. And, and then it became more about being recognized for whatever it was by your group. And this is probably, you know, both psychology and sociology driving these things, neither of which I, I'm certainly not an expert. But let me sort of back up, I guess. You know, one of the big things I think about um, as far as accolades and rewards uh, came about when we developed money. So once, you know, currency became a thing uh, and you know bartering for goods are like you know now it wasn't about I have a need for bread I'm gonna make some bread or as a tribe we all make the bread and we all have food to eat and you know I tend the crops so I get the bread and all this works out and it's fine no big deal but at some point this you know placeholder of value you know, a new value system came in, and that was based on some sort of currency. And so the goal then switched to, I want, I need more currency to meet any of the goals that I have, and the accolade that I'm going to get is having more of it. And so what, I, what do I need to do for the world to recognize that I'm a good person and reward me with more money? So money sort of made things weird. And, you know, I, I often think about <clears throat> money, and it's like, you know, money is a totally made-up thing. There certainly there were currencies in the world prior to money, the currencies of carbon. You know, I need carbon because I'm a carbon-based organism. I need oxygen um, in order to meet my fundamental goal of reproduction. How am I going to get that? And it, you just sort of did it, and you were driven so hard by it, and you either sunk or swam, and you survived or you didn't, or. And things like competition, you, you evolved and adapted as a species in order to change shifts so that you reduce competition to get those carbon needs met. It was all probably not a whole lot different, but it was based on more direct input and output. Rather than having this third party you know, of money between you and the goals that you wanted to meet. And then all of a sudden, it became the goal and inherit of itself. And the only way to really measure your success in meeting that goal was having more of it than somebody else. 
Okay, so that, that sort of changed things. And then everything, I think, from that point on, as we're, you know, you could argue that this is some sort of linear um, uh, development of our relationship between our fundamental basic needs of carbon and reproduction uh, to <clears throat> a different organizational theme where money became the proxy measure of all of those things. And so the goal then becomes much more related to this extrinsic factor than the intrinsic factor that you needed in the first place. And then, of course, that, you know, you forget why you're doing it, right? Because it be, you become so obsessed with this proxy target and not the original need. Uh, and so things like jobs and education and, you know, social stature and race and, you know, some all these stupid things that, that, that developed as a, as a means of competing for money in order to receive the reward of having more of it and then, you know, having a more successful life and presumably now a better chance of reproduction and immortality through this, you know, it's like there used to be these two spheres of input and output and then all of a sudden there's the third one in the middle and you just sort of, you know, it, it created a new relationship. And as that happened, you know, our, the organic and uh, pure, uh, um, you know, unencumbered uh, need to answer questions and to know more about the world sort of went away because they were replaced by the need to get more money. You know, whereas the fundamental need of, you know, the, it's lightning and it's cold and I need to find a cave to sleep in became, you know, I think a five-bedroom house uh, uh, in the right neighborhood is going to be better for, you know, I get that, you know, we're improving as people, we have more money, we have more disposable income, we have more luxury time and luxury time to think and do other things. Sure, I want air conditioning and I want to make that cave into a better place, but you sort of forgot what uh, the original intent of needing shelter was. And, you know, and this can be said for something like food. Okay, sure, we needed food. But maybe we weren't eating the best things and, you know, we were dying when we were 30 uh, because all we ate was bison liver or, or whatever or corn. Um, I don't know. Uh, and now we have, so there's a, there's a benefit there, a positive spin on something like food. In our luxury uh, time, we have figured out there are better diets that make us healthier. We can live lives and live longer and stuff. Of course, there's a flip side to that because not everybody needs to, to live to be 200, especially if you're on a ventilator for the last 100 years or whatever. Um, quality of life becomes an issue. But certainly we have done really good things with our luxury time. I'm not going to argue that money is this, ter this, this terrible thing. I, I, I do think it enables us to forget a bit about the primary directive, um, and it just gets in the way. But, but if you look at the world, and I suffer from this a lot because I've never really had a lot of money. I've been comfortable. I got the white privilege. My parents were blue collar when I was young, but by the time I was in college, they could they had enough money to send me to college. They had retirement accounts and all those things. And they sort of achieved the 50s American dream of having more money than you started with and potentially being able to leave some of that to your grandkids or their kids or, or whatever. And that, I'm not going to fault them for that. And, and, I, and I certainly benefited from all those things more than anything just being white, male, um, but I ha I've never really been driven by money, mostly because I've been turned off by the people that I was around that had money and, and just didn't like them as much as um, the less wealthy or people that I knew that had 
less money. I saw this inverse relationship between sort of apparent happiness um, and wealth and um, also like this whole snobbery thing. And, and, and I'm probably just as guilty of that as anybody else. But I'm just saying uh, my growing up with money was really that I was afraid of having it because it was going to change me. And I used that as an excuse to try to be okay without it. And, uh, you know, that that's all changing in my life right now. I sort of understand and appreciate the need for wealth. And more than anything, um, get, getting out of the rat race of um, trying to work and um, not experience life and being um, um, dependent on a job and these other things. Uh, anyway, that, that's a, that, that relationship with money you know, developed to the point where all of us, I think, are primarily driven by having enough money simply to live our lives. So to think about that, the human species, over some amount of evolutionary time, went from not being, you know, struggling to meet their basic needs of food and shelter and, and reproductive success to having, to, to being pretty good at those things and having luxury time to think and then sort of this this beautiful renaissance of, of human thought came up and we got things like languages and religion and, and science and philosophy and then that progressed a little bit more to the point where what I see today is even to do any of those things, you still have to meet this primary directive of money. And it's sort of like set us back to where we were in the beginning of struggling to meet our basic fundamental needs. At least a lot of people in the world are, are doing that. And so it's this. I see it as this cycle. It starts off from not being able to meet your fundamental needs, and, and that's what you spend all of your time doing. And then eventually you do you, you, you get good at that. Uh, because the system works or whatever, and then you have some luxury time to en enjoy life, let's say. I don't, I don't know. Pursuit of happiness, that part. Uh, and I think what we have today is, you know, because of things like income inequality and maybe overpopulation and limited resources and all these other things, um, we've gotten back to a point where we're struggling. Some of us, many of us, are struggling to meet our... And I'm not struggling to meet my basic needs. Like I said, I'm privileged, fortunate. Uh, but, I, but I think people are. And I would say that's because probably overpopulation, competition, re limited resources, and moreover, what that resource is. The fact that money has gotten in the middle of all of this um, so that it, it costs so much just to have a house or an apartment or whatever, just to get a job and transportation and all of those things... And I don't know if that's necessary or it's just the, our perspective on these things. Do you really need these things? Certainly there are cultures in the world that exist without all of that and are presumably doing just fine. Do they want an iPhone? Probably. Do they want blue jeans? Yes. Do they look at us and think we have everything and want to be like us? Sure. But they don't realize that they don't necessarily have this um, relationship with money as, a, as the primary accolade. Okay, let's, let me get off money for a minute. So... Um, I came up with this accolade thing when I was in graduate school, and when my, you know, I thought so. I went from I don't really need much out of life. I can just work a job to give me enough money to pay the rent and put food on the table. And you know, the naive hippie in me is just going to be cool with that. So I don't need an education, and, and you know, I don't like this system, and I don't get along in this, and I'm on the fringe, and 
I'm cool with that. And then in the some t- at some point, and it's my dad's voice in my head, don't fool yourself because at some point you're going to want to get paid. You know, at some point I thought, yeah, maybe I need a little bit more than this. Maybe, maybe I should achieve. Maybe I need to get a better job to have a little more money. You know, still buying into that whole BS. That's a whole other podcast system of, you know, get a job, get money, happy. That doesn't work. Uh, and so I thought, okay, I, my dad paid for two years of college. I don't want to waste that money, so I'm going to go back and pay for the rest of it myself and finish my degree. I did pretty good at that. Um, I went to grad school, did good at that, you know, went to Ph.D. school, and then I realized that, you know, by the time I got to grad school, I could have a lot of my education paid for. So at the end of the day, I wanted to take my dad's original investment of two years of college and turn that into a Ph.D., and essentially that's what happened. You know, I got three degrees for the price of one, and I just I couldn't turn that down because I'm so driven by economics, and the return on that investment was just fantastic. Or was it? I mean, what did I really do with the PhD? I'll sell it to you for 50 bucks. Um, but what happened along that path is I fell into the accolade trap. You know, I did not feel like, you know, I got into this thing where I used to get bad. My grades were never very good. They were high Bs all the time. I could study as hard as I used to. People in undergrad called me Mr. 88 or 88 because I would study real hard for a test and cram, I'd get an 88. I would just pay attention in class and not even study for tests and I'd get an 88. It didn't really matter. I was a B-plus guy. That's just what it was. And finally, I just accepted that. And so I always struggled with getting the accolade. You know, I, I wasn't very good at getting the reward. I wasn't good at sports. You know, the only things I were good at was I would go skateboarding, be by myself, see an eight-step handrail, and work at it until I could, you know, board slide that eight-step handrail. But nobody was there to see it. So I sort of grew up with my accolades came from myself. If I didn't recognize the achievement that I had just made, then it didn't happen. And that's hard. Uh, We'll talk about that more in a minute. But, you know, I see parenting as that. You know, parenting has no accolades, zero. You have to create them for yourself. And maybe there's something to that, and we'll revisit that in a minute. But in grad school, what happened to me was I got obsessed with the external accolades. All of a sudden now... Grades didn't matter so much. It was more things like, could you write a good paper? Could you get a grant fund? Could you win Graduate Student of the Month? Could you, could you demonstrate that you had some sort of skills that were observed by others to be meaningful and important and then have them pat you on the back for that? And you know what? That felt good. And so I became this ladder climber where it was like, I wanted more of that. It was like a drug. And having never really had a lot of that accolade in the past or, or not being able to see it, you know, internally um the external stuff became super rewarding to me and then and then that that piggybacked on the money you know now i can get a better job and have more money and i'll be seen as an important person and people i'll have respect and all these accolades started lining up and they felt so good and they looked so good and i just wanted to try for that more and more and more and then you know at some point i realized that you know that that it's like kids, you know. It's easy to look at a baby and say, oh, you're so cute, you're so smart, and, and, and look at you, and you can stand up, and you can poop on the potty, and, you, you know, all these rewards. And then, you know, eventually it's like, well, everybody can do that. You don't tell a nine-year-old, way to go pee-pee, you know. Um, eventually you stop getting <clears throat> those things, and it, as it was for me in grad school. Eventually you're just a professor, and, you know, the accolades you're going to get are going to be, oh, you got a paper? Cool, when's the next one? Where's the next one? Oh, you got a grant fund? Oh, it was only two hundred grand. Where's the five hundred grand? Um, yeah, you had a graduate student achieve, but where's the next one? 
And, it, and all of a sudden I realized that, you know, the beginning part of that ladder was fun and rewarding because the, the accolades were coming in like mad. Uh, and then as you progress along that ladder, they stop giving that stuff out. Uh, it, um, and it wasn't like everybody got a trophy. I mean, I was really achieving real things, but I, the point is the value of those things diminished with time. Diminishing returns, of course it, of course it is, you know. The, the fourth line of cocaine that you do just doesn't feel like the first one. I mean, it's just the way life is, especially when it comes to these, um, you know, uh, brain chemicals that are released when you get these things. And so quickly I said, I, long story short, I determined I see the future in this field. I got into it dependent upon external accolades. I cannot... The game that I see getting into to keep continue to get those things is hard, and probably they're going to stop, and it's just going to become a struggle. The other side of that is, is this field important enough to me to where I can intrinsically, internally reward myself, and that that wasn't the case. And so that's when I realized, shit, this system no longer works. If I can't find enough pleasure to exist in a world without external esteem, really, right? With my field and colleagues and students telling me I'm awesome, if I have to do all that myself, is the actual job worth it? And I just said it, it, it wasn't. I mean, the money, the BS you put up with in the academic um, administrative world, all that stuff, and, and the lack of my ability to achieve the goals that I wanted to because of all those things, um, but, you know, that's a whole other story. But anyway, I became aware of this idea that I had become addicted to external validation in the form of accolades. And I needed to remember what it was like or, or to keep trying, because I never really figured it out, how to esteem myself for the accomplishments that I made with, with my own set of more meaningful accolades. And, the, and I think... But what I did immediately after quitting academia is going to being a stay-at-home dad. And you talk about the most undervalued, rewardless job on the planet. You know, the only thing you have is watching your kids grow up in like the 1% role. You know, 99% of what they do is annoying. 1% of it is, wow, they walked or, or they said, I'm sorry, or they were sarcastic for the first time, you know. If you can't find value in those things, you're going to be miserable uh, because there's so much crap that you have to put up with. But, but the important part is, it's like being able to stop and smell the roses, right? If you can find the accolades and the simple, beautiful parts of life, then you're, you've won. Think about that. That is somewhere in the middle of that. If you can find love in the midst of all this chaos, you won. Um, and so even though I suck at it, I wanted, I understood that I needed to get better. I needed to stay away, no matter how good they feel from the external validations, the accolades out there in the world of people telling you you're great, you know, the, the not being able to esteem myself, but to being able to put dependent on other people to esteem me, that's a trap that I know I can't deal with. Even though if I was really good at it, it felt good. I mean, think about that world where some people are always telling you you're awesome, you're always winning stuff, you're always getting more of this or more money. or You know, that's got to feel good 
But then you look at celebrities and, and sports athletes and stuff, people who have that, and you see a lot of misery. So, you know, all of that together tells me I've got to figure out how to esteem myself, how to observe the accolades that the world has to offer me. Like, you know, watching your kid play or watching them laugh really hard. You know, that's got to, I've got to find as much meaning and reward in that uh, to sustain me through the hard parts as I would with somebody giving me a job. Uh, and that's my big thing. I'm obsessed with jobs. I, I'm convinced that somewhere along the line, somebody's going to recognize my talent and come up to me and say, we want you to work for us for $500,000 a year. To me, that's the accolade that's going to make me happy. And I can't shake it. You know, uh, I watch the job ads waiting for that chance to come. You know, I check my email waiting for that chance to come. It's such a fucking trap. But I do it and I can't get past it. So I'm not perfect. Well, I'm trying to get away from that. But it feels so good. You know, it's like I feel bad for an addict, you know, that, that drink or that hit of Coke or meth or whatever. It's just going to take all this pain away and it's going to make me feel good for a minute. <sighs> okay. Um, so I'm trying to, to, to reshift. And I think a lot of us are doing this. And that's what I'm talking about, the cycle. You know, we realize that maybe this isn't the way. Because with the money thing, you're either good at it or you're not. And you're either chasing it or you're not. And the only reward is more of it. You know, it's like I say, I knew I didn't want to mess with cocaine because the one time I did it, all it made me want to do was more. And I should have known that with nicotine because all it makes me want to do is more. You know, that's not a good thing. You're fine without it and you do it once and all you want... This is just like that with money. Or it can be. I mean, it's, I'm not saying money is inherently evil. It's just our... The addiction part of the need for more... Uh, recognition because our egos we have these needs here's something that's going to meet them but i'm just suggesting and <laughs> lots of people before me have suggested this you can meet these intrinsic need for recognition from the world yourself or with your family or with your close loved ones by learning to value the little things like having an hour to think uh, and, and coming out of that refreshed and feeling good. And I think that's all what mindfulness meditation is. It's what the Buddhists have been trying to teach us. It's the principle of all the basic religions. It's what the philosophers do. You know, we're coming back. And I feel this moment of, uh, not, you know, this time period where, where a lot of us are questioning this. this. And, and I feel like, you know, money is a part of it, but it's not really that specifically. I'm not, it's not the straw man or and I'm not picking on that. Because you can exist. It's like it's like Facebook. Facebook is not inherently evil, although it's it's addictive, and you tend you know people get um, stuck checking it all the time, and they can't let it go. You can manage that. You know, if you're addicted to your iPhone, it's not the iPhone's fault. You can manage that. Um, so we, we can manage our relationship with money to be healthy, and and that's sort of another place I am in the world. And uh, I think as a as a culture, as a species, as a you know, some subsects of the world, I think, are doing this. Some, some, um, what's the word, uh, communities, uh, nationalities, groups, are better at this than others. So there's this continuum of, of and certainly individuals can be very good at this, um, at minimizing the need for external validation. So there's, there's really more to this than, you know, than goals. Well, there's not really more than this than goals, because what is one of the goals that we have as humans? And that is 
um, to love ourselves or to feel content or satisfaction. Um, and, I, and I think we've just picked the wrong, um, I'll say accolades, the wrong reward system for these things. Um, I talk about this with my therapist a lot. It's like, I struggle with esteeming myself. The concept of self-esteem means you can comfort yourself, you can soothe yourself, you can remind yourself that you're good enough and that you're okay, and you can do all these things yourself. Uh, you have those capacities. Now, you're also a part of the rest of the world, and I look at this as concentric rings. You know, there's me, there's my immediate family, there's my extended family, there's my friends, and you know, so on and so on. And the closer you are to that center, the more important you are, and the more I need your recognition, your appreciation, your attention to help me do those things. Uh, no man or woman is an island. Uh, but I think the ability to esteem yourself, to to know your value without the need for external validation and accolades, trophies and rewards and more money and somebody giving you a job and girlfriends or whatever, attention for women, sports cars, all those things, sure, they give you a temporary boost to that um, internal need basically for love, right? But they're not sustainable and there's a better way I know there's a better way and that's and that's loving yourself being able to soothe yourself being able to esteem yourself finding accolades in the world that you can be aware of that give you the same feeling as the money or the job or the award or whatever that's the trick you know can I say you know, I'm a good parent. You know, my oldest daughter got into UVA. Some of that has to do with me. And I feel good about that. And that gives me this thing that I need to remind myself that I'm okay. I struggle with that. You know, my initial reaction is, I, I don't have anything to do with that. She's awesome. You know, that's great. But I can't take any credit for it. But but somewhere in there is, 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 is some balance, you know. Certainly, um, I can feel good about that. I guess that's my point. So I think I, I think I alluded, you know, came up with the, you know, this basic development of human evolution, uh, where we had luxury time, and then we we had a, you know, this this fundamental need to feel good about ourselves. Then and we could get that internally, or we could get that externally, and then in the past hundred years, let's say, we've relied more on the external forces to 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 esteem ourselves and to feel good about ourselves and find self love. Uh, or maybe it's not even self-love. And, and, I, and I think we're at a point where we're starting to question that and people are, you know, hopefully this is cyclical and we can we can steer the battleship in a new direction and remember where we were in, 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 in antiquity when we first started having these thoughts and where just the fact that we had time to think was felt good and was rewarding and um, maybe we can shift or change our relationship with money. And I told you my story about sort of going to graduate school and realizing that those accolades were empty uh, and, and so the other thing I'll talk about briefly is uh, m my wife is going through exactly the same thing. You know, she, I don't, I don't know why, but I mean, she's a, a, a very highly achieving person. She decided she wanted to be a doctor, which gave her uh, a, a, a amazing education, intelligence, um, abilities, and salary. And she realized, I don't know, maybe four or five years into it now that the accolades that she receives, including the money, aren't meeting her fundamental needs as a person. And so that we, we have to change that. So, and, and, I, and I get to watch her sort of go through what I go through. Um, and, and so 
there's two data points. The two most important data points in my life, myself and my and my spouse, are are giving me this information. So I don't, and I and I and I, I see this a lot of places. You know, and the next one I'll come up with is on Dak Shepard's podcast. He always talks about how he thought if he made a hundred thousand dollars, he'd be happy. If he made a million dollars, he'd be happy. Da, da 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 da. This money kept going up, and his success as an actor and a comedian, all these things went up and up and up and up. But that that feeling of satisfaction or having your needs met or self-love was never met and uh yeah i think that's typical i'm not just making this up i guess so i have the my my personal experience and then observations of other people's experience and then this knowledge i've done the work i've done the psychological work to understand self-esteem and how hard that is to do um and, and so it's interesting i didn't intend for this 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 accolade thing to be about self-esteem but really ultimately that's what it is it's about self-love it's about learning to do that and i think we already understand all the techniques to do that we understand what's bad for us and we understand what's good for us we know that mindfulness meditation and just general mindfulness perspective keeps us more centered in the world to be able to recognize some of these internal accolades that will help us feel good about ourselves and to reduce uh, the, the value and the attachment that we have to these external accolades because we know they don't do what they're supposed to do. And, and again, you got to have money to live. That's just the way the world works. I'm not saying we should all live on the beach you know, in a tent because it's, you can't do it. You have to obey the societal restrictions. And I feel really terrible that there are lots of people, the majority of people on this planet struggle just to be able to do that. But those, those solutions are only going to come from changing our whole relationship with these external accolades. Until we devalue the trophies and the awards and the, and the getting published and the jobs and the whatever it is that are all related really to, to power and money and status, until we can devalue that system, it's hard to, it's, it, it's hard to get everybody up, lift everybody up to the same level where we can have the luxury of of changing the world. And sometimes, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks that that's the whole intention. You know, a couple of white dudes sitting at a table saying, how do we make the world work for us? Well, we depower everybody else. And we just, you know, we only invite the people to the club that we want, and we set the whole system up so that it drives the power to us and takes it away from them. You know, it... It's not hard to argue that conspiracy theory on so many different levels. But it's fundamentally true. Now, of course, within that, not everybody wants to be like me. Not everybody cares about any of this. Not everybody wants self-esteem. You know, they're happy. You give me a good job, I'll be happy. But I just don't think it lasts. I don't think it's true. And I think ultimately people do want to feel good about themselves. And I think feeling better about yourself is going, is, is like going as far upstream as you possibly can if more people felt good about themselves and of course had food to eat and all the other things that you have to have to live the rest would take care of itself you know so we're talking about these weird things that are so distant apart in the world but yet they're so close together if we could change our relationship with reward accolades goals you know we um as individuals, we can feel better about ourselves. 
which then will give us that luxury energy to rediscover that relationship with life that will enable us to do amazing things. Uh, how do we do that? It's been an interesting you know, pathway for me uh, where, where I ended up with this today, but um, at the risk of trying to recap, you know, I think originally we came to this awareness of self organically, and it was curious and uh, from a place of discovery and um, and pure, if you will, and we, we came up with a lot of cool stuff thousands of years ago uh, with philosophy and religion and language and ultimately science. And then all that sort of shifted. And, and it's not like it happened once. This was cyclical and happened again and again and again, you know, um, just within the Roman Empire, you know, I think there were multiple cycles of, of sort of pure thought and then this external accolade, disgusting wealth and, and, and poor treatment of other people or whatever. But so we're going, we go through these cycles where we have a closer relationship to what it means to be human and, 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 a, and a freedom to, to ask organic questions about why we're here and, and what life means. And that gets us closer to this mindful state of self-awareness and feeling good about ourselves. So we get farther and farther away from these, le- these, these, this, 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 our relationship with our fundamental, you know, as much as I hate to say it, our relationship with the planet, our relationship to our biology, to a relationship to the molecular structure of the universe has to have some meaning. You know, we can't just forget about all that. We can't just get away from it. We can't replace that with money and jobs and awards and trophies and popularity and social status and, um, that doesn't work. That's inherently flawed. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the meaning of life is getting more money and winning uh, and dying with the most toys. What do you think? K plus C is wise at gmail.com, www.chrisbercher.com. This has been episode eight. I'll see you next week with episode nine. Reach out to me. Thanks for paying attention. Bye, guys. <laughs>